Today's show is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash everything sounds. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash everything sounds. Ignition sequence start. Everything. Everything. Sounds. Sounds. This is Everything Sounds. I'm Craig Shank. I'm George Drake Jr. And this is Everything Sounds. In the last show, we were talking about sounds of the past that were slowly becoming antiquated or just simply dying out, but are now being preserved in a different form. And the sounds we'll be talking about today are actually music. Music uh, from the past that was largely ignored in its time, but is now being given a second chance, thanks to a small but dedicated group operating out of a rather unassuming-looking house in Chicago. The numero group finds, preserves, and reissues sounds and stories of artists and record labels from the past before they fade away forever. Forever. You get the reference, Craig? You get it? Yeah, forever. Is, it, is that the Sandlot? Yeah, it is. Just let's go. <laughs> All right, let's hit it. We spoke to Ken Shipley, one of the founders of Numero. He didn't just found the label and call it a day. He does a lot more. I don't do one thing so much as I do many things. Uh, A&R or accounting, um, intern direction. Seriously, he does just about everything he can. It's, uh, creative director, creative design. Ken thinks that the best people at a record company can pretty much do anything and he lives up to that himself. Having worked and owned several different record companies, I can tell you that the best way to run one is to run, be able to run every part of it. The concept of Numero came from a number of places. At the time, Ken was working in the A&R department at Ryko Disc, while also working on a 45-inch series for the label. And we'd been doing it all under the guise of sort of a, how could we create a demo aisle, things that we were very curious to see how they performed, but had no real way to, you know, gauge how a band might succeed or not succeed. And I convinced my bosses that this was something that was worthwhile. And at that same time, some gears were turning in his head. And I'd made 10 records in that line, and I'd always loved the name Numero because I always liked the idea of a numbered series of records. And that was inspired by a company called Actuel, which is a French free jazz label that all their records are numbered. And I liked the uniformity of things like verves, orange spines, and I wanted to be able to take that and, and transpose it onto, onto works that, that, that I wanted to do. And I knew that I wanted to stay in the catalog field at Ryko. Then it's almost like fate intervened. After he lost the job at Ryko Disc, he decided to take a little bit of his previous work with him. I, I pretty much started Numero off of the back of the work that I'd done over the course of the two years that I worked at Ryko Disc, managing to steal a project away from the Jaws of Defeat that was about to go into Ryko, and it was the Numero 2, which is Antenna Camino del Sol. He approached the band and explained that he was still interested in working with them, but he had to figure something else out first. That record was something that I'd worked on in Ryko and it brought to the hilt and then all of a sudden I'd lost my job and I, I, I went back and to the band and I was like, don't sign the contract. Just just don't. We'll find another way. That's when fate really came into play. One night I uh, bumped into Tom Lunt at the grocery store and we'd known each other from when I worked at, in record retail. 
and he he had just gotten back from Poland and was unemployed and was looking to do something, and I had just been laid off from Rikodisc, and I was looking to do something. And I met Rob Severe right around the same time uh, at a bar, and at, we'd connected about a number of different things, you know, including this idea he had for a series of rec- uh, a record called Eccentric Soul. Which would later become Numero's first release and the beginning of their Eccentric Soul series. So the team was set up. It was Ken, along with Tom Lunt, and Rob Severe. Three of them began the Numero group in 2003. Between Eccentric Soul and Antenna and three guys with a little bit of passion, <laughs> We managed to foster a business plan and, and a couple of uh, unique titles that we knew we wanted to execute. And you know, with very little money, we started the company out of a uh, fourth floor walk up on Chicago's north side. The Numero Group isn't just an average record label. Instead of finding new artists and cultivating their careers, Numero digs in the past and releases music from artists and labels that are largely unknown or forgotten. And that's what really sets them apart. The lengths that they go to find out about the music they want to release is just incredible. Just think about it. They're trying to track down information that only exists in handwritten notes and memos, old publications, and the memories of those who took part in the process. A serious amount of labor by... um uh, myself and Rob Severe. Rob Severe is the head of A&R over here, and he is vetting projects constantly. But I'm also doing the same thing, and it's about you know watching collectors' frenzy auction ends, or um, you know hearing something on somebody's you know mixtape, or there's just so many different ways that music sort of populates your brain, and, and all of a sudden you hear one thing, and you're like, well, could that be something more? And it's like a sweater. You start pulling out a thread and, and, and then you end up with a pile of yarn and all of a sudden you rebuild the sweater into, into what you what you want it to be. Another thing that sets them apart is that each of the owners plays a role in every release. If one of them has an idea for a new album, they all work together to try to make something unique. And so like things like, you know, gospel funk, that was a, you know, Rob really wanted to do a gospel comp. Well, what's unique about this? Well, all the sounds sound like this. Or Kid Soul was, you know, we wanted to do, from the very start, we wanted to do a record of kid performers. How do we find enough of these kid performers to sort of tell this alternative Jackson 5 history? Not only do they construct the concept, but they're also their own design team. While Tom handles most of the design, Ken and Rob each come forward with their own ideas. Records come together in the collective brain. You know, somebody might have an idea for one thing, like Rob has worked really hard on getting this Medusa record to the fold. But then I came in and said, let's do this velvet cover and we'll do these this embossed gold and embossed blood gold. <laughs> you know, the cover sort of erupted out of listening to the music, talking about things and just letting the ideas develop in, in a natural course. During our visit to the Numero Group, Ken explained that although the label's audience is not as large as a major record label's, their market isn't all that different from a major label's. It's just smaller. Top 40 is just as much of a niche as what Numero does is. It just happens to have a larger audience. But if you you know think about the amount of people who actually listen to Rihanna, Katy Perry, Carly Rae Jepsen, it's, you know, it's a very small percentage of the population actually just listens to that. He went on to say that if a major record label sells 300,000 copies in its first week, 
Yes, that is a lot of copies in a seven day period. However, 300,000, that's still a tiny portion of the population. 300,000 people is nothing. That's a niche. Numero's just doing it differently. So Numero's spot is, is very niche oriented and we recognize that there are different listeners that are interested in different things. There's always going to be people who are interested in French free jazz. And there's always going to be people who are going to be interested in rare R&B. Guilty. People who are interested in, you know, contemporary coffeehouse folk music. Also guilty. There's the, these audiences exist and, um, you know, that. To, to not do these things just in, in spite of the fact that your audience might be smaller than another is, um, well, I mean, your heart never was really in it then. Hello? Love. Remember when Ken said this? I always liked the idea of a numbered series of records. Well, we wondered if Numero's numbered releases led to some people purchasing their music solely for the purpose of completing their catalog. Look, I, I own 70% of the actual catalog. That's the French label he mentioned earlier. And I have probably listened to less than 30% of it. So, you know, when you start looking at, at those numbers and you start realizing that there is a fetishist marketplace out there of people who just want to sort of make sure that the numbers all line up. That's something that we're extremely aware of. Maybe it's not a bad thing. They'll sit there and they'll collect dust, sure, but what's important is that they're always there to listen to. But I also like to think of it as, as something that people will return to in the future, come back to and say, like, God, you know, I never really gave the Bodhi Recording Company a thorough listen and they'll discover something on there. Our records are in print for years. We, you know, nothing goes out of print. Well, very few things go out of print. And because they don't go out of print, there's always the chance for them to be discovered by somebody at some point in time. The Numero group doesn't just find music they plan on releasing. They also purchase music that they think is valuable because, who knows, maybe they'll need it in the future. We've just bought an archive of master tapes that we have no plans to do anything with. We spent a lot of money to buy those master tapes, mostly because we wanted to catalog them and realize that at some point in time, somebody's going to come out of the woodwork and we're going to be like, we actually have that. You're looking for this very specific soul master tape and we have that master tape because we had the foresight to buy it. Ken thinks that the work that Numero is doing is much more than simply operating a record label. Numero is also an active archive. It's a massive archive of a lot of different things. I mean, from the photo archive that we maintain to the ephemera archive to the master tape library, there are so many things here that, uh, you know, have use beyond just the fact of making records. We're saving music. They're saving music, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the label is playing God. Ken sees it a bit differently. Just recognizing that there is a history that is on the cusp of being lost. And because it's on the cusp of being lost, and nobody is paying attention to the idea that it could be lost, that you know somebody has to step in and actually do something about it. He gave us a great example of how to describe what Numero is doing. Remember? Oh, yeah, the, uh, the painting example. Yeah. Uh, so we watched this documentary on Afghanistan and how before the Taliban took over. There were these people who worked at the National Gallery of Afghanistan, whatever the equivalent of that is. And they had these paintings that they knew that once the, the Islamist kind of regime took over, that the paintings would be destroyed, these, these works of art. So they did something extreme, but at the same time ingenious. They painted over all of the paintings. Hundreds of paintings. With paint they knew they could remove later, when things got better. 
in a lot of ways, I think what we're doing is, is, is a very similar thing. We're, we're recognizing that something needs to be saved and nobody else is actually paying attention and wants to do the work. And so we're just getting in there and saying, look, we, we need to save this. In, in some regard or another, it has to be saved. Ken's right. Numero is more than just a record label. It's kind of like a record label, music hospital, and archive all rolled into one. And while the Numero group seems to be the main force behind releasing older music in a unique way, we wondered how important he thought the work that they were doing was. I mean, it may not be. I'd like to think it is, but it's, you know, it's just a nine, ten people every day coming into an office that's being driven by an economic machine that consumers are, are putting their, their faith into. I mean, it only really has value for the people that are listening. And if you're not listening, then it doesn't have any value to you. But I'd like to think that hopefully in the future that people look back the way that we look at someone like Mo Ash from Folkways and think, thank God that guy was there to give Woody Guthrie $20 when he needed it to, you know, to write these songs or record these songs. And, um, you know, if, if long after I'm dead, there's people writing books about what Numero does, and I guess we, we've succeeded. And if not, you know, it's just add it to all the fucking rubble. <laughs> I paid my dues in every respect. Every respect. But I never received no The music on today's show was all used with the permission of the Numero Group. You can find out more about the Numero Group, their releases, and which songs we featured at our website, everythingsounds.org. Everything Sounds is an independent production. If you enjoy the show, thank you, and consider giving your support by becoming an Everything Sounds audiophile or writing a review on iTunes. We've got links and information to help with that, and you can also find out where and how to listen to the show at our website. One more time, it's everythingsounds.org. Until next time, I'm George Drake Jr. And I'm Craig Shank. This is Everything Sounds. This has been Everything Sounds. Find out more about the podcast at everythingsounds.org. Connect with Everything Sounds on Facebook and also on Twitter.